Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this edition of Voices from the Archives, the Irish Life and Lore series. I'm Maurice O'Keefe. This week's podcast is an interview with Liam Connellan, who sadly passed away recently. He was former Director General of IBAC, forerunner of the Confederation of Irish Industry. Liam played a major role in steadying the ship after the Staines air crash that sadly killed 12 of our Irish business leaders. He led the Confederation through many years of change in Ireland. I met Liam at the Academy of Engineers in 2018. Liam, you had a long, distinguished career. Tell me, where did it all start for you? Where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, I was uh, born in Longford. Uh, but uh, after a year and a half, of, uh, we moved to Roscommon, uh, to a, a small town called Strokestown uh, in Roscommon. And uh, my parents were both from Roscommon and my ancestors would all be Roscommon people. So I regard myself very much as a Roscommon person. And uh, that was a small town and I grew up there in the uh, 1940s and, in the, uh, and uh, in the early 50s. Now what was your father doing for a living? My father was a solicitor and my mother was a dentist uh, in, in that town, yeah. in Strokestown. And, uh, the, uh, but we left Strokestown then in, uh, when I was about 15 or 16 and moved to Roscommon Town, which is only 12 miles away. But that, uh, I had been going to uh, college in Garbally and Bandesloe. Uh, for three and a half years, but then uh, uh, when we moved to Roscommon, I moved to the CBS in Roscommon uh, and finished uh, my leaving cert there, and that was a great advantage. Oh, what did you think of the Christian brothers? Were they uh, very, very positive about them? Uh, they they gave me a tremendous opportunity to have, particularly, uh, they weren't faced by uh, teaching uh, honors maths. And uh, whereas uh, in the, my previous school had been, uh, it was unusual. But uh, they, uh, they gave me a great opportunity and, mm. and uh, ex- excellent teachers. I was very lucky that I had a couple of very good teachers. And then you progressed into third I pro- level? I progressed into engineering at third level and uh, went to uh, college in, uh, univers- in UCD uh, and studied engineering, mechanical and electrical engineering. Uh, and uh, uh, gradually grew into uh, mm. deciding what branch of engineering I wanted to get involved in. And I, I liked the idea of production. 
uh, have to put the thing in context and say that at the time, you know, when you're looking at the mid-50s, Ireland was very depressed, yes, extremely depressed. And indeed, the year that I graduated, there were questions of, did we make an awful mistake in uh, leaving the United Kingdom? You know, had we made a terrible mistake? You know, were we a viable community at all? So uh, that uh, had an impact on me in saying, well, look, I would like to study production engineering. I would like to get involved in factories and do, do a little bit of training abroad and then come back to Ireland and work in industry and help to develop kind of a modern industry here in Ireland. And I was lucky that that's the way it worked out because I went to Sweden, in the, first of all, for training uh, and uh, spent uh, uh, just a year there and then uh, spent another year and a half in, in England in rugby uh, with big engineering electrical combines uh, that were, had been set up way back in the 1900s and uh, they were huge, uh, very big. But I learned an awful lot, and it, it was a great opportunity to spend time going around different departments, and uh, you know they, mm. they trained people, young graduates, and so on. So then I was very lucky that uh, in uh, I, uh, when I had finished that training, uh, I got the opportunity to go to work in Waterford in an electrical engineering firm that had just been uh, that was quite new. Uh, again, to contextualise it, we had uh, there was a situation where. Uh, foreign industries weren't invited into Ireland. Uh, mm. There was the Control of Manufacturers Act that said, that, well, naturally, after independence, there was a tendency to want to have everything Irish-owned and so on. And it was only in the mid-50s and in the late-50s that they said, well, actually, we uh, would like to have some foreign enterprise come in and set up industries uh, here. And uh, the firm that I joined, making electric motors and things like that, they were, uh, it was a Belgian-owned company. And uh, a tremendous experience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, we were making motors in, uh, as intensely as, as any manufacturer internationally would have done it. You know, where was this? In Waterford. And what was the name of the company? ACEC. Oh, was this the early 60s? This, this would have been 1960 I joined. What was that? motor industry like at the time? Well, it was it was quite small. It was making electric motors. These were for pumps and, yes. and milking machines and things like that. And oh. there were small electric motors. And there were about uh, 180 people working in the firm. Uh, and so it was uh, substantial yeah. enough. And I got a great kick out of... I was in charge of the electric motor department uh, as, as a young engineer. And uh, I got a tremendous buzz out of developing from 35 people up to 75 people or something like that. That, you know, of course, yeah. Uh, because and I said, no, that's, that's what I want to do. That's creating jobs in Ireland, and it's been a modern industrial economy. So it was just the start of the modern industrial economy. Uh, yeah. But, of course, it was a highly protected economy. You know. In what way? Well, it's highly protected because we had a tariff barrier of... 40% uh, against goods coming from Britain, against competition coming from Britain, and 60% against goods coming from uh, other countries. So uh, it, it, it was highly protected. Uh, and this was before we joined the European uh, Union, or before the Anglo-Irish Free Trade Area Agreement, which was in 1964 mm. after... Um, and this was in De, De Valera's time or, or, or Sean Lamass's time? Sean Lamass's time. It, it would have been in Lamass's time when uh, Lamass, after the, uh, the 
Britain's failure to get into the European uh, economic communities and Ireland's failure, or, uh, and Ireland therefore, uh, that the uh, Lamas said, well look, we've got to reduce tariff barriers, we've got to reduce this protection because it's not viable uh, to keep on with, with high protection. And um, he negotiated the Anglo-Irish Free Trade Area Agreement, which was to reduce the tariff barrier against British goods and goods coming from Northern Ireland, indeed, by uh, uh, gradually over a 10-year period to zero. Yes. Uh, now, other things intervened because we joined the European uh, communities in 1973. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were gradually uh, adapting, starting the process of adapting to uh, a non-protectionist economy, a free trade economy. But yeah. that, and in the middle of that, and we were surviving and uh, gradually uh, man you, managing that transition. You could see the growth and, and the, the, the You progress. could see the growth, yes. Yes, the depression of the mid-50s, I mean, in 1957, there were questions, could we manage at all, if we were a viable community? But then when the whitaker Lamas thing came in, and indeed Sweetman was involved in this as well, Jerry Sweetman, uh, when they said, well, no, we'll start an opening out of the economy, we mm -hmm. had the first programme for economic expansion and so on, and gradually, and, and a very modest target to grow by 2% a year, uh, this is this is the uh, this would be real progress uh, in 1960, and it, it happened. Uh, you know that the, gradually it was an uplift in the international economy. We gained from it, and uh, gradually we started to grow. Uh, in 1965, I moved from Waterford. Uh, I was. Mm. Uh, uh, offered a position in the Irish Management Institute, which was just a starting up at that at that stage, and it was the. I think the fourth, what they called management specialist, having worked in industry for a few years, I thought I could train other people in how to do it. <laughs> so uh, the, uh, uh, that was very exciting too. So I was lecturing on production management in, in the IMI for uh, another six or seven year period. Uh, and uh, also head of the small industry department within mm. Uh, within the IMI, and then I travelled around the country an awful lot because I ran courses in every country in the country, and every county in the country. Yes, now that uh, obviously a very exciting time in, 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 in not just what you were doing, but in the way the country was moving. Yes. Uh, and so did you see change, big change in, in the countryside? Oh yes, well there was, a great, there was a great feeling of mission and excitement at that time in 1960 because the thing was starting to buzz, the country was starting to buzz, just gradually, but it, but it was. And uh, when we, uh, first of all the idea of management training was very mm. odd, it was very unusual and we uh, took some, uh, we'd take some lectures in from the United States and from Britain and so on and we as uh, Ivor Kenny who was the uh, Director General of the IMI said we had to grow our own timber, we had mm. to have our own people. Who and did this lead to the IDA, you know, the, the setting up of the... No, 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 it, it, it would have been after the setting up of the IDA, the IDA was set up, in, in, well, on uh, Forest Junskill or so, that was set up in the, around the mid-50s. Okay, because that was bringing in industry. That was starting to bring in uh, external or foreign industries, starting to start into that. Yeah, and, yeah. There, and there was a lot of manufacturing uh, happening in Ireland uh, in those early years. Well, there was, but it was, a, it was a different sort of manufacturing. It was very much uh, local. This is for the local economy. It was, uh, obviously, you had the food industries. Uh, and uh, construction-related firms and paper and packaging and textiles and clothing were, were yeah. quite important. 
there were quite big industries at that time, but uh, they gradually, uh, in the next transition phase, which uh, came in, uh, in 1972, uh, well, first of all, as tariff bar yes. barriers were being removed, firms were, some firms were finding it difficult because they were only viable behind uh, high protective barriers. Uh, so but but you you take companies like um, Blarney Woolen Mills, for example. They they suffered because of the of, of the tariffs. Oh, they did. They did. I, I think that that was that was a remarkable transition that took place because uh, in, in industry, in uh, in the lead up to joining the European Communities mm -hmm. in 1972 and the, the referendum, industry came out in favour. Of joining, which was in a sense quite unusual because they knew there were, there were turkeys voting for Christmas. You know, they knew that an awful lot of industry was going to disappear, that they wouldn't be able to survive in free trade conditions. So, but, but they decided that no, uh, for the overall benefit, this was good and we get far in, inward investment, yeah. and the result would be you could have a growing economy and so on. So, uh, they voted very much in favour, but. Uh, when uh, we did join, uh, of course, it, it was mm -hmm. right for it. In, in five years, from 1973 to 1977, we eliminated tariff completely against other European uh, countries. Uh, in 1972, tell me about the next stage. Well, the next big stage was a thing that changed my... Uh, well, it, uh, a group of 12 people who were going to Brussels to open a Brussels office just after we had uh, joined, decided to join the European uh, communities uh, were killed in an air crash in Staines in London. And they were the director, the chief executive of the, uh, of the Confederation of Irish Industry and the president and so on. And uh, I was in the IMI uh, and I was asked to go on secondment for six months over to the Confederation of Irish Industry to replace the, 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 the Director General who, was, who had been killed and uh, Michael Sweetman who was his deputy, uh, he, he was killed as well. Uh, so I moved over from management training and uh, management development into a representative, representing industry. And uh, of course it was, uh, it was an awful tragedy but it was a, a life-changing thing for me because it meant that uh, I was representing manufacturing industry, uh, which I loved and wanted to develop and, uh, in, in every way I can. Uh, but it was during a period of, of tremendous change, because uh, from, uh, as I said, from the 1st of January 73, mm. the tariff barriers started to come down, and there were major, major problems. And you had to see, uh, live with those and keep optimistic, keep uh, recognising that there's change happening, try to uh, influence the change and government policy as much as you could, possibly could in relation to keeping that change uh, as, as uh, seamless as possible. And one of the very positive things was that in, even though a lot of firms went out of business, that industrial output grew by 5% a year, even during that first five years of membership of the European community, because the people, the inward investment started to replace uh, some of the uh, uh, the, the indigenous firms that weren't able to survive and of course the economy was growing a bit and th that, helped a lot. that helped some of the local firms, the Irish firms uh, because if in a growing economy and they were supplying into the growing economy that, that was very positive And it, it must have been a great blow the members who, who passed away oh, in the yeah. air crash but, but then the new group including you that went in there 
well, first were you of, trying to find your feet? Well, first of all, we were, of course, trying to find our feet. We were it, 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 tremendously difficult to replace the people who, who had uh, been killed in the air crash. But, but uh, it, was, it was the art of the possible. It was uh, t- still trying to keep industrial growth going, but with a very strong belief that the, uh, everything depended on industry. The economy depended on industry. It's a relative agriculture, but industry was the growth area. Like agriculture would always have been growing by 2 or 3% a year, which was a modest growth. How was it almost taken for granted? You know, the agricultural side. Of it. Well, probably a bit, and even at that stage, you see, the, co- the co-ops hadn't really developed in the way Kerry developed later. You know, it was pre that. So, uh, on, on the other hand, we would have regarded ourselves as representing the food industry as well, the manufacturing mm-hmm. industry and uh, food and drinks and all of that. Uh, but uh, so. Uh, and and to get that link, the, the big thing was jobs, was, yes. was employment. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what motivated me, and I was uh, very interested in it. And say, well, industry is a means to an end. Yeah. To, to, to a means, and the end was more employment within the economy. Remember, we were at a time where we were trying to stop emigration, uh, gradually be, get into a, a, a growing a growing economy, which is good for everybody, and a growing employment, which is good for everybody. But uh, that was a very hard grind, because uh, we had come from a situation in the, in the 56, 57 period where 90,000 people emigrating, yes. you know, yeah. um, and, and a declining population. So to get back into uh, stable population and, and growth, but with industry, I mean, the way... We, uh, we explained industry to the government and to the people at large was this is the way to create jobs. Yeah. This is the way to create jobs and sustainable jobs and internationally traded, competitive, able to but manage. A lot of companies in, in say, the motor industry, the Dunlops and Fords yes. and, and that, they, they, they were closing at that stage? Uh, they were. They were. Well, they were kind of... A, it was a, that was a... The classic industry that was uh, set up under under protection because uh, we wanted to assemble all cars in Ireland, uh, and they were very small units, and you know it, it wasn't. It was a, an artificial uh, sort of uh, construct. To, you know that you said, well, uh, it's, uh, as a matter of fact, <laughs> one before I came back to ACEC in Waterford, I, I had also an offer of a job from Volkswagen here in Dublin to to for the assembly business, and I and that was in Dublin. And that, that was an attractive place to come back from England and say to go to Dublin. But, but the advantage that I decided as far as Waterford was concerned was this was manufacturing, this was the real thing. Yeah. And this, this was for, for the long haul. So even though the salary actually was lower, uh, much lower in, in, in Waterford than it, than it would have been had I gone to, uh, taken the, uh, the job with Volkswagen, but uh, it, it was it was a decision for uh, my career, you know. Of course, said, yeah. said, said look. But, but, but then uh, the, the, the um, there was a lot of money coming in from Europe, wasn't there at that time, or was there? Uh, no, it took, it took a while to come. Well, some of the things, of course, you, you got some money coming in. The Common Agricultural Policy operated straight away, so that, that was very good for the farming community. Mm. Uh, and uh, gradually, it took a, quite a while before the regional, regional policy started to develop and the, the, the cohesion funds, as they call them, uh, to uh, help. Uh, one of the great things about the, the European uh, experience was that it was unusual they said, uh, we want to bring the 
countries with low living standards up to the average uh, of of the community uh, are above. Mm. And at that stage, we when we joined, we were sixty percent of the European average. Sixty percent of the European average in income per head. Uh, today we're about one hundred and twenty. Yes. Uh, you know, so uh, there was a tr- really a remarkable transition. Uh, but uh, you had to work through it, and it went year by year and make a bit of progress, and you hit a roadblock along the way, and there was a, a, an occasional recession that came in, particularly the one that came in. There was one uh, a recession in 75, 76, and then there was the, uh, the uh, big government spending at one stage in the late, in the late 70s where they said, well, uh, we're part of the European Community, we can spend, but then we had to realise, look, actually... Uh, we had we, we had overborrowed, so that there was another uh, locally almost induced recession in the mid eighties. Uh, mm. You know, as we tried to correct the national finances, but then uh, I would say from from the mid mid to late eighties, from about eighty seven onwards, that we were on a sustainable path. Talk to me about Northern Ireland and your involvement there. Well, in the early seventies, we. Uh, uh, we wanted to have very close relationships with our colleagues in Northern Ireland and the uh, CBI, uh, but uh, and we used to have the, the uh, members of the council uh, would uh, uh, meet with the members of the council of the uh, their counterparts in Northern Ireland uh, on an occasional basis and so on, but then. Uh, the, the political events in Northern Ireland took over because the, the UWC strike, uh, which was around the 74, 74 period, uh, and then I got a call from my uh, Northern counterpart at the time and said, Liam, I think we'd better uh, put these meetings on ice at the moment because uh, it's not the time for, for joint meetings and so on. And right, because there was a lot of conflict. Oh, there was a lot of conflict, yes. It, I mean, in, in the context of, remember, it was a, a, there's very high violence going on in Northern Ireland and, and, and the UWC strike had just gone completely against uh, any agreements. Uh, so, did you, did, 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 did you discover that? Did you find that, that, that there was a reluctance? Oh, there was. There was an absolute reluctance. And it, 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 it said, look, you have to watch the political scene, you know. But, uh, and that actually slowed things down for uh, about 10 years. And what was the name of your con- counterpart, the, the person you were directly. Well, he's, he's passed on yeah. now. He's uh, Colonel Jim Slater. He, he's a very, very fine man and a very nice man. Uh, whom I got on very well with. In fact, he, he had been educated in Kilkenny College in uh, in the south. You know, so, so he was he, Colonel Jim Jim Slater. Slater. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but he, he was a, 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 I liked him very much. But he he died prematurely too. But just of natural yeah. causes. But uh, it, it, then in the late eighties, uh, the. Our northern colleagues uh, uh, agreed, agreed that it would be time to start our restart our meetings, our regular contacts, and uh, the, uh, we started that. And we had a meeting up in Belfast uh, of the whole council of the Confederation of Irish Industry, which I was uh, at that time, and the uh, CBI in Northern Ireland, and uh, we decided at that meeting to set up a joint council. A joint council, which was a very big move, you yes, know, to indeed. say, well, yes. well, we'll have just a, a council which would meet a couple of times a year uh, and uh, look at 
infrastructure on the island and all that sort of thing and uh, the things of common concern. Uh, and that is, uh, that's still in existence. Uh, so, in, in, in this passage of free trade, as you... Oh, yes, yes. yeah. But um, in the setting up of... So, what was government input in that? Where were they... Um, no, they the would have been nine to the extent that they knew of it. They would have been uh, obviously positive about it, you know. Yeah, but but didn't, but, but didn't then, take oh, any part. Oh no, 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 no. This is this is purely industry itself saying, yeah. uh, "Look, uh, are the things we should be doing together?" and putting pressure on government to <laughs> improve the infrastructure in various ways. And can you recall some of the names of of those people that that were there with you that kind of made a difference? Um, oh yes, well, well, on the on the Northern Ireland side, of Sir George Quigley, uh, who is a, a great man, and, uh, and he was uh, the uh, chairman of the Ulster Bank, and he was the chairman of uh, of uh, of uh, Bombardier of the the oh, air, yes. aircraft company. But he would have been very positive, and he had deep involvement uh, naturally in the Ulster Bank in the south and so on. Uh, and uh, he was—he ended up as, he was—he was president of the uh, Economic and Social Research Institute here in Dublin. You know, so that showed that, that his interest in the island economy, and he was very interested in uh, the Dublin Belfast Economic Corridor. Uh, in fact, he spoke for for at my request at a, a CII conference in 1972, proposing the Dublin Belfast Economic Corridor in 1992. That's interesting. Uh, and yeah. it's—it's it's now it. it, it well, even in the academy, we, we, we last last year uh, I chaired a, a, a group that developed a, a report on furthering the Dublin Belfast Economic Corridor because half the population of the island are living on that corridor, in, including the Dublin and Dublin and Belfast, and that's see that as being um, a magnet for inward investment that no other place of the island could offer. You, you get. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, you have three million people, or over three million people, living in that little, that very, very tight area, with Dundalk Newry, with Dundalk Newry, and 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 yeah, and it's it's uh, it's imperfectly uh, delivered. But we say that by uh, within a few years, like we could have four million people living on that corridor. If we have an island of eight million people, which I think we will have by. Uh, uh, in the 2030s, uh, and but that that would be able to compete very successfully with places like Milan, Hamburg, you know, major mm. centres in Europe. If if you can get the, the conurbation really integrated. Yeah, but, it, but but it's interesting to to just tease out the the um, uh, the difficulties because in the 1980s, yes, you had a hard border. You had, oh, I had yeah. you had security. You had oh, customs, absolutely, you had absolutely, and five hour delays at the border. Trucks that were t- taking products up, and even if they were taking products up to to send them out to the Port of Larne and and over to England, uh, five hour delay. It's crazy. Uh, but uh, and and uh, I remember one one little uh, anecdote in 1992. I went up to a conference in Belfast, and it was a conference on exporting to the Republic of Ireland. And uh, I remember uh, one of the participants, the people at the conference, stood up and said, "said Oh, he said, um, uh, I, I hear that there's going to be no customs men at the border uh, in 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 July. Can that be so?" And Jacques Delors, uh, uh, chef de cabinet, was there, and he said, "Yes, that's right." 
and there was a strong silence, you know, be- because uh, yes. you know they, what the single market was going to mean. Yeah, they you know, they, they couldn't come. Uh, uh, no, yeah. no conception. Yeah, well, we were all learning or idea of what it we, might we, be. We were all learning. Another thing that was relevant to, to, was in 1991, the year earlier, there was a, a conference in Belfast. Uh, on uh, North South Trade and uh, uh, Charlie Hockey, the, who was the dentist, went up to it, and of course uh, he played, they went mad and so on. But we had a very good conference. There were four hundred people at it, and we listed all the the things that were inhibiting trade. Okay, the, so if you push aside politics, yes, uh, the 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 the, the, yeah. the, go, the growth and the and, and the industry side of it, your your we side wanted. of it. You wanted. We uh, wanted to get rid of every, every, get rid of every inhibition to trade that you could possibly have. One thing that yeah. sticks in my mind very much was that uh, they were afraid that if they traded in the south and did business, that they wouldn't get paid. And you know that there would be very long delays. That the credit period that they'd have to offer might be, or that the credit period in reality might be ninety days. And is this, and is this, is this, if they yeah. were selling in Northern Ireland? Uh, are in Britain that, that that would be thirty days, you know. So you know there were little things like that, and of course you had the the delays at the border and all that that sort of thing. But but they all wanted to get rid of all of these and normalise things as much as possible. Yes, and okay. of course of course now the the uh, the economy here is very strong, kind of compared with the northern. Well, it has it has flipped, but it, at one stage. Uh, uh, I mean, was there a perception in the north that the south were second class? Well, yes, that, that, that they weren't industrialised. I, I, I mean, that came... I, I, I spoke at, uh, at meetings in, in, in Belfast and uh, uh, talking about industrial development in the South. I mean, I was, I was promoting industry in the South, obviously, very much, uh, and the progress that was being made. And, and uh, they were gradually uh, learning, I suppose, of, yeah. of what we were doing and uh, eventually amazed. Yes. At, at what was happening when they visited, particularly when they visited some of the uh, the, uh, uh, the multinationals here, like the Intels and people like that, and so on, they couldn't believe the quality of what was being done, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they uh, like they would have had a very strong tradition in industry, but but they were in the older industries that were gradually disappearing, and most of which have disappeared, with the exception of. of People like Bombardier, and you know that they, they uh, so um, they, uh, they gradually recognised that this, this there's something unusual happening, and they wanted to be like, naturally part of it. And the SMEs in Northern Ireland, like today, are that their first port of call is to send in the south. Yes, yes, yeah. I know it, it. It has changed it dramatically has, it has, now. It has changed completely. But then you have to remember that <laughs> it's amazing that. Uh, at the turn of the, the 20th century, Belfast was a much bigger city than Dublin. Uh, and now it's two, it's, it's two and a half times the other way around. So your, your input at the time, you felt you made a difference, that your, the, 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 the Confederation of Irish industry at the time yeah. made a difference. Yeah. Ah, yes, yeah. It made a difference in the North-South business, yes. Uh, and uh, But... There would always have been the slight difficulty, not the slight difficulty, but that uh, the uh, we were a sovereign part of a sovereign economy, and in Northern Ireland, uh, yeah. they weren't. They had to refer essentially to Westminster. You know. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about the the parallel or the division between government on one side and uh, industry on the other side. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, we moved our offices in uh, the Confederation of Irish Industry from, from, where from Fitzwilliam Place, which is fairly mm-hmm. down to Kildare Street. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were in a funny sort of situation that a lot of people thought that we were part of government. And that's what we liked. We were in the nest. They were next door to us. You could move, you could have a meeting with the, the civil servants and so on in the Department of Industry and Commerce, as it was then, very easily. You know, it's a hundred yards up the road. Uh, yeah. and, and the doll was, was even less. So you were able to move in and out quite easily. And it, it was part of a... It, 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 it was part of a, a, a partnership team in many ways. It, it, it wasn't a confrontational relationship at all. Uh, occasionally it was, but uh, they, most times no. In fact, when we joined the European Community, one of the interesting things was that I remember in the very early stages uh, we had a problem with British imports, that the British were subsidising certain imports, particularly of textile product. And the government, the, the department didn't want to object to Brussels, but we objected to Brussels. And then you department were quite happy that we objected to Brussels. Uh, to <laughs> because you were going to take the... Because it was, it was a bit awkward, you know. Yeah. And uh, we were saying, what Britain is doing is wrong, you know. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and eventually we got change. We got change in Brussels. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, uh, Britain gradually phased out what they were doing for the textile industry, which was a very strong uh, subsidisation that was putting some of our people out of business. Uh, but uh, there's that sort of relationship. Uh, but that's a very interesting point you made. I remember a, a, a German journalist used to come and uh, visit me every couple of months. And he said, um, on one occasion, he said, I can't quite understand it. He said, if I go over to the IDA or if I go to you or wherever, I'm hearing the same story from everywhere. And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. We're singing off the same hymn sheet. We all want to develop the economy. We're trying to develop industry and so on. And that was, that was very unusual. Yes. Uh, now, <laughs> today people might say that was groupthink, but it was a groupthink of, right, yeah. <laughs> of the right type, you know. The development of, of, of computers yes. really kind of changed things. And, and that change was happening then. It, 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 was, it, it, was, it was changing, uh, uh, gradually changing. Well, you had two things happening. One was what was happening within industry itself. And some of the things that uh, was happening, say, to industrial growth and so on, uh, would have been uh, influenced by... Uh, if there's a recession in the economy for international reasons and so on, uh, of course that had an impact. But but in general, the uh, output of industry kept mm. growing by about between five and eight percent a year, five and eight percent a year continually, and that that. Uh, uh, that what, what was the driving force? Then? Oh, exports, exports. You know, and, and the and the, the, the inward investment. Uh, helped enormously, and you get people like Michael Smurfett and, and the, the uh, and CRH that developed major international uh, activities from mm-hmm. Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, and and saw Ireland's place as being part of a global economy. And uh, the, the, uh, Smurfett was the first to start that, 
uh, and he, he led the way, and many other, well, not today, uh, any uh, organisation worth its salt now is operating on a, on a global basis or on an international basis, you know, not just on a narrow uh, Irish economy. But to come back on the, uh, on, on, on the uh, computers and technology, one of the things, I talked about output growing by 8 or 8% a year or something like that. Productivity was increasing, uh, mm -hmm. the output per person. Mm -hmm. And that was helped enormously by, uh, and gradually more and more, by information technology. You know, and that's going to continue to be the way. Uh, and, but, uh, so it means that it, it, maybe you have to grow faster in order to be able to absorb the productivity gains and still have more people employed. So if you, you have to uh, keep running fast you know, with all the changes, and there are massive changes taking place in the economy now, uh, and particularly in that computer area and the robots and, and uh, virtual reality and all of these things and, and uh, artificial information. But just to keep on adapting to it mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, and, and try to uh, uh, keep a growing economy uh, 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 and education is, education is central. It's, it's the very basis of an awful lot of these things, that if you have a, a very well-educated workforce, that you can cope with anything. So your, your career advanced very much towards that area, wasn't it, in, 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 in the field of of getting information out to people. I was 20 years as the Director General of the Confederation of Irish Industry. That was the first 20 years of membership of the European Community. So yeah. it was a very exciting time yeah. uh, and a very a time of, of, of tremendous change. And after that, well, I, I still had an involvement in, uh, in uh, the economy in that I, I was asked to chair the National Roads Authority for the first eight years. Uh, it, government decided at the time that it would be a good idea to try and... Uh, uh, bring, have a central organisation and in a sense you had to have a central organisation anyway because if you were going to develop motorways uh, they were going to go right across the country, you couldn't stop at a country boundary so it, it had to be a kind of a national approach but I mean we started very simply the, the, the very first thing almost that we did when we, in 1993 94 was um, uh, let's line all the roads properly you know, line them. Line, oh, yes. You know, you know, so that it actually, uh, you know, for safety reasons, say, say, look, let's let's make sure that, that every every that we take that over nationally uh, from the local authorities for the national primary routes and the secondary routes. So we did that, and then our, the amount of money we had available was was quite low. It was around two hundred million at the at the beginning. Yes. Uh, in in ninety four, but by the time. I left eight years uh, uh, later, it was up to 1.2 billion. It was multiplied by six. Yes, but, uh, but, but the was, money was, was, was available was from... Yeah, yes. It was national. And, and we started the uh, 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 public-private partnerships. Mm. Uh, so, so if you could get uh, uh, a sufficient revenue from tolls on, on the roads... Uh, that it would even pay for a quarter of the cost. You say, well, let's go and and bring in the private sector and let them uh, build and manage, it, uh, provide it, uh, and it, and the, the government ended up getting uh, a couple of hundred million for every major project uh, coming into the system because yes. from the private sector. Uh, so 
uh, that worked well. And the, the uh, other interesting thing that happened was uh, we did the first, uh, well, Tom Roach had had the uh, toll on the East Link Bridge, but, uh, and, um, but uh, we did the first national toll. And it was very interesting that, uh, and uh, uh, a compliment to the minister at the time, who was Noel Dempsey, the, um, the first toll that we decided on was in his constituency, and he didn't object. You know, he he, he yeah, I know. I did, I did, that was that, that, that was the that was the Boyne uh, the Boyne one, wasn't uh, yeah, the Boyne Bridge, and there was another one then over around Ashburn. Yeah. Uh, did did politics come into it? Uh, politics didn't come into it. No, yeah, not not at all. I'd have to say that in the in the period that I was in the in the NRA, I never got a signal that uh, oh the minister wouldn't like that. You know, you know. It's a matter of fact what what government was sent to say. Well, they had money yes. money at the time was deliver, build yeah. the roads, and we started first of all by just bypasses around around the towns where there was congestion and people were getting very frustrated and having to go through Nails or go through various places and take ages ages. So we we started with the bypass before with a series of bypasses before. Uh, we had the sufficient funds to say, uh, and the need for planning yeah. for for the motorways, uh, which is which is fascinating because I remember growing up in Roscommon, uh, they uh, they uh, reading about uh, a motorway from uh, Dublin to Bray, and, and little did I think that uh, so many decades later I'd be living on that road and to be, ta- to be taking some of my garden. <laughs> you spoke to me about the big changes. Was there any? Any time in that, any decision that you would have made that, in hindsight now looking back, you would have done it differently. No, I don't think so. I never, you, I, I, I never, you know, you're always dealing with with, with reality, you know, yeah. and and uh, at, at times you have like maybe more money from government or whatever to do things, but, but you know, you, you, have to, you have to live with reality. And uh, you spoke. Uh, earlier about the, the, the Ireland being the centre of everything like the, 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 yeah. that this is where it was happening that's what Swerfitt said all the, you know that, that, yeah. that, that it was all did you feel that do you think that that, that this this economy that now that that's been driven in this country is is uh, heading in you know that we're 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 seen as as, as uh, a country that um, yeah I think so I, I, I think that for for our own uh, development, that first of all we can't get away from the fact that we're part of a globalised world with a, 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 a yeah. very strong international trade. I mean, we're going to have a, a we're going to have flights directly to Hong Kong in uh, in the mid year. Uh, you know yeah. that uh, there's a few flights a day to Abu Dhabi. You know that that, that, that Did, we're all part we're part of a. Does that fascinate you? Because yeah, I, yeah because you you were there. Yeah, when things were moving so slow. Oh, I, I, it is. It's 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 a it's a revolution. Uh, you know, uh, right? It's, it's been a slow burning revolution. Yeah. It's it's one that has occurred, say, over a fifty year period or sixty year period, that we've gone from such a highly protected. Uh, economy. I mean, right, we do certain, certain things. When I was growing yeah. up in Strokestown, Strokestown in the 40s was, was uh, self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. You know, we had three bakeries, we had, uh, we had a little furniture factory, we had uh, engineering firms, and uh, small little, they're all small things, but then transport developed, everything developed, and, and, and these uh, competition took over, and it meant that it's a day 
Mm. They, uh, the, the larger towns uh, uh, developed more, and that's that, that's the way. And, and Liam, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and and and, and thank you so much. I, I really appreciate yes, thank this. You. Yeah, thank you. Thank Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.